Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on delicate dress details, an address conundrum, who gets the armrests, saying something when your host doesn't serve dinner, and a formal luncheon flop. Plus your most excellent feedback etiquette salute and a postscript segment inspired by Dan's cold. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your extra question of the week addresses whether asking about schooling is rude. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. You're back. It's so good to be here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You were out, man. Being sick is no fun. You got really sick for the first time in 15 years. Originally, it was just, I got sick for the first time in 15 years. I was like, that's not true. You've been sick. <laughs> it's not true. And But this was bad. This was bad. And I almost feel like I got cursed a little bit. The, the sickness was being passed around the daycare, and then it was sort mm-hmm. of migrating up into the parents, and mm-hmm. Pooch got it, and... She said to me one day while she was horizontal, I feel bad when I'm sick because you never get sick. And I always feel like I'm just sort of wimping out. And sure enough, the next day it was like me horizontal. Well, this thing has hit everyone this uh, this cold and flu season. I feel like everyone I've talked to has been knocked out by it. And it's it's everything. It's head, chest, stomach all across the board. Not fun. I appreciated your sympathy and understanding. So how are you feeling today, Dan? I'm not going to say a thousand percent, but I am a thousand percent better than how I was feeling a couple of days ago. And I said it's really good to be back. It is really good to be back. <laughs> I bet. It is nice to get off out of the sickbed rut when you've been in it for a few days. That's for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you for the holding down the fort. I appreciate it. <laughs> Anything Anytime. mission critical that I missed while no. I was incapacitated? Absolutely nothing exciting or interesting happened. But you did inspire a postscript segment on the etiquette of being sick that we will get into just after we get to some questions. Tis the season. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. 
what was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Sustaining members, remember to put sustaining members somewhere in your message. Now a question. My mother passed away several years ago, and my father has a companion who will be on his arm at my upcoming wedding. When we first started wedding planning, I asked her if she would like to have a role in the wedding. Would she like to be escorted in the processional, as is customary, or maybe she could escort our four-year-old twin ring bearers? She declined participating and wanted to attend as a guest. Well, after the past year or so of planning, she is starting to see herself as more than a guest, which I'm fine with. However, when the time came to get the mother's dresses, we ran into a challenge. Our wedding color is navy, and I asked her and my future mother-in-law to select a dress in the same color. During the holidays, she showed me the dress she found, which is maroon. Initially, she insisted that maroon was an appropriate color because with all the ladies in navy, the group pictures are going to look a certain way, so maroon would break that up. All I could think was that her and maroon would be distracting in photos. As she volunteered that the dress didn't fit right and would need a lot of alterations, I gently suggested that she consider returning it and perhaps we could go shopping together to find something in navy. Should I have done this? I'm not a bridezilla, but I feel very disrespected that she made a decision on the dress in a completely different color than I requested. How should I handle this moving forward? Thanks. Anonymous, this is a tough one, but it's not impossible. Your wedding is definitely something that you've dreamed of. It's something that you've spent now, especially being engaged, a lot of time considering how you want it to be. And traditionally, you do let the bridesmaids know the color of the dresses that you would like them to wear. But you don't traditionally let the mothers of the bride and groom know what color dresses you would like them to wear. Often they coordinate just so that they don't end up in competing dresses somehow or competing styles somehow. But the bridesmaid and the bridal party are really the only people who the bride and groom have that kind of decision making around when it comes to attire. And often we get this question a lot. Somebody at the wedding wants to wear something that's really going to stand out. And this person is going to be in photos. What do I do? 
And a lot of the times the answer is actually that you respect what makes them comfortable and you let them wear what it is that they feel comfortable and confident wearing. You can absolutely express a concern like, oh, we were really hoping to have everyone in the same color if it worked out that way. Because that invites room for personal choice, especially when, again, you don't actually dictate what the guests wear. And I think that it's something that you can give direction or make requests about, but people don't actually have to follow those requests. I do think that having one person in maroon when everyone else is in navy is going to look a little bit odd, but I also don't think that that's going to be the thing you remember all the time about your wedding. Dan, come in and and tell me, am I crazy? You've been through a wedding. I haven't. No, I'm appreciating your experience with this. (laughs) This is definitely a subtle etiquette question, and I'm seeing both sides playing well here in some ways. As I'm hearing the way this situation developed, the dress was purchased. Maybe there was some concern expressed. Oh, maybe it's going to require some alterations. Oh, maybe I could help you find a new one. To me, this feels like two people talking back and forth across an issue and trying to take care with each other. That's one way to read what's going on here. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the willingness to do self-assessment in that and to say, am I being demanding? Am I taking it too far? What are the lines of demarcation here? And I appreciate the clarity that you brought to that, that if someone asks, you can help them. And and that's a that's a, a good thought to have in mind, but that ultimately it's up to them. It's their choice. I had been thinking in a very different way about it, that if you had had very strong feelings and you wanted to get them across, you weren't sure that you were the right person to do it or that it was coming across well, that you could talk to your father. That's always an, a, going to the person's partner is always not a bad idea. And especially because in this circumstance, we're dealing with a father and a stepmom and and mom has passed on. So, yeah. And, and he might have some idea. They might be having discussions about this. Behind the scenes, yeah. And he might have some light he can shed on it. It might be a very easy ask. It might be a tougher ask. And he could help navigate some of that. One of the things I'm curious about is that when when stepmom said, I thought maroon would be a good way to break that up, in that moment, I think there was a moment where um, our anonymous listener could have said to her stepmother, actually, I was hoping not to. I was hoping for all of you to be in Navy so that together it's not just the bridal party, but it's also our parents that wind up looking like a cohesive group for the night. That would have been a moment where you could have said that and said, that's actually exactly my intention is that we all do that. You all do wear the same color. I was hoping that would happen. And it's really hard to argue with a a bride about her hopes. (laughs) And and especially when you're this close in the family unit, it's you know, I think it's one of those things where. The family generally really tries to support whatever the bride and groom are going for in terms of style and taste um, when it comes to the wedding. And not all the time, but most of the time people tend to kind of jump on board. It just it would have provided that moment where you can say, this is what I'm looking to have happen. And it's really then hard for the stepmom to say, oh, well, I don't want to or or um, you shouldn't do it that way when the bride is saying, no, that exact thing you're trying to avoid is the exact thing I'm trying to cultivate, to, to make happen here. That makes sense to me. Choosing clothing is such a personal question. That's the other issue we have here. <laughs> and th- there can be so many other factors that come into play. Oh, I I love this color, but I just could not wear this. Or I absolutely love this dress. It's not quite the right color Boy, it's such a perfect dress. It hits so many other notes that I want to hit that I'm I'm willing to 
make that jump from navy to maroon, which isn't huge. They're in the same tonal family, even if it's Dude, not the it's right color. Dude, it's red to blue. It's a totally different thing. <laughs> but they're like darker reds and darker blues. That's true. That is true. They're darker reds and darker blues. My mother says, don't put me on color committee, and I will say She's the same right. thing. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> no, I deserve it. My other thought is take control of the things you can take control of. Yes. That you can't take control of someone else's preference or, or choices about the clothing they wear. But you can talk to your photographer. You could say, be sure you get some shots of me just with the bridal party so I get that color-themed photo that I want. Photo that I really want. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to say, don't take pictures with my immediate family. And you're not going to say, always put my stepmom behind everyone to hide her. Like, no. <laughs> no, but he could help stage things in ways that help emphasize or de-emphasize or balance things. You and... might also talk to the groom's mother and see if she potentially wants to wear maroon as well, or if she would want to wear just a different color so that now you've got both mothers in different colored dresses and the bridal party all in the same same color dress. That's perfectly fine. You can also, just because we haven't, I don't think, said it yet, you can also just simply state, we said you could say it in counter to her, oh, it'll look odd if everyone's in blue. Oh, no, that's what I was going for. But that conversation has passed. So you could now bring it up and say, you know, I really want to find something that you feel comfortable and confident wearing for the wedding because I'm so excited that you are going to be participating more. I've really been happy about that. And at the same time, I wanted to let you know that I had had this vision and I was wondering if it was possible for us to move forward with it. It at least lets you know where she stands on the issue and it'll help you know whether this is something you really want to go to battle over or not. I love that idea of coordinating your desire for her to feel like she's part of the, the the close group that are hosting this wedding and that are part of the way it's going to be remembered to that desire for her to coordinate, fit, match that that plan. Anonymous, we hope that this helps and that this wedding both looks and feels like the wedding of your dreams. A compromise helps settle some disputes. Each person gives in a little bit and then both can have part of what they wanted. It's worthwhile to know many ways to settle disputes. Our next question is about an address conundrum. Happy New Year, Lizzie, Dan, and team. Thanks for your ever-thoughtful advice and for making the world a more pleasant place for all. A friend of mine with impeccable taste recommended your show, and I've in turn brought my mother on board. I didn't realize it until today, but now it's like I have an etiquette support group. I asked both of them what they thought about this issue, and both were otherwise engaged with being impressive people and unavailable for comment, and I didn't want to delay my response very long. In response to a birthday well-wishing text message that I sent, a dear friend replied with some fond memories, and then also very kindly said, I would like to send you something, but I don't have your address. Would you accommodate me? What a perpetually thoughtful friend! There has been a rash of front porch package theft in my neighborhood lately. I have no idea what my friend may be sending, but in addition to having connections to the family, she was my English teacher some 20 years ago and has graciously given me both book recommendations and several books over the years. I would hate to risk endangering such a kind gift if that's what she has in mind. But of course, it could also be a Christmas card or something similar that would be safe in my mailbox. My dilemma was to find a response that gave my office address as an option without making it sound as though I expected anything other than a card or letter. 
However, I also wanted to make sure I wasn't unintentionally giving the impression that I didn't want to disclose my home address. In the end, I continued the conversation about the birthday memories and our friendship, then replied to her question by saying, You are too thoughtful. I send mail to the house and gave the address. Anything else I send to the office, where someone is reliably around to take delivery, and gave that address as well. Now I'm wishing I had simply said something like, I send everything to my office. Here's the address, and here is my home address for your records as well, in case you're ever in town and care to drop in for tea or an impromptu book club. Thanks so much for any thoughts you may have on the best way to have handled this. Best, Rob. Rob, thanks for your question. Before we even talk about your question, I have to say the idea of an etiquette support group sounds, I don't want to say delightful to me, but I'm completely intrigued. And I love that you're sharing the show with people that you care about and who you think have impeccable taste. I agree. You said everything just right. You said you are too thoughtful. I send mail to the house Anything else I send to the office where someone's reliably around to take a delivery. If I read that, I would think, oh, gosh, thank you so much for letting me know that. Because now I, I know. I can send my letter that I'm sending to your house or, or the my package, package to that I'm the sending. office. And I, you're not. You're not not disclosing your home address as as if you're deterring them from stopping by for such a nice drop-in visit or something like that. You have no need to extend the offer to have this person come and stop by. So don't think that by leaving that out, you've somehow done something ungracious. That's not true. This, like, you're just right on track. You don't need us. I was thinking etiquette gold stars all around. But then I also read a little sample script that you wrote that I thought was excellent. And I said to myself, well, Lizzie Post is often very good at these things. And I like the language that you offered here also. We'll give it a test run. Let's see if it works in someone else's voice. Oh, that's so nice of you. I I don't mean to complicate things, but depending on what size the something is, you'll want to use one of two addresses. My home address is 123 ABC Street. If you don't think that something will fit in a mail slot, I'd suggest sending it to my office address just in case office address. I thought that was pretty good, that sort of acknowledging that the something could be two different things and that that would direct it to places. But like you, when I was reading this question, I thought to myself, etiquette gold stars, this is really good. Both the details <laughs> and the information and the whole tone. Yeah, right. The way I felt, the way the message was wrapped, the art of etiquette is often in the details. And I liked a lot of the details that I was hearing there. Me too. Rob, awesome etiquette. In good weather and in bad weather... The mailman brings us our mail. He always tries to be on time. He works quickly, for he knows where each piece of mail belongs. The mailman is friendly and helpful. Almost everybody likes him, for almost everybody likes to get mail. Our next question is about armrests and the Great Divide. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My name is Sarah. I have a question for you on airplane etiquette. My question is, when you're sitting next to someone you don't know on a plane... How do you decide who gets to use the armrest? And what do you do if they claim it early and don't give it up? Or if they let their elbows slide over into your own personal space? My ideal scenario would be for either no one to use it or to trade back and forth, which sometimes happens naturally. However, when someone is an armrest hog, it feels too awkward to address it. Let me know what you think, and thanks for a great show. Sarah, thanks for a great question. It actually had us cracking up as we listened to it. Chris was imagining someone putting a spike strip down the middle, and Dan was sitting here going, oh, I can't stand those people. Those people who sit down and they take it and they don't let anyone else have it. Like, And I was 
laughing, but it it's the armrest debacle is it's just like reclining the seat. It's there, but it interferes with people's comfort and it also aids their comfort. What the heck do you do? This is one of the most awkward pieces of travel etiquette. And of course, you just served it up so well. There are a number of different ways that it ends up getting navigated or handled. But oftentimes someone that you're in very close quarters with, close proximity to, isn't being nice or isn't sharing or isn't playing by those unwritten rules that we all hope are being observed. Okay, can I also just put out there, they're also probably likely not thinking about it. Like, I like I just don't think many people sit down on that plane and think, woof, I'm going to, like, stake my territory, claim my territory on these two armrests and and be here for the whole time. It's so unintentional most of the time. As is so often the case with rude behavior in general. Most rude behavior comes from a place of lack of awareness or just not thinking about how what you're doing might be impacting someone else. In this particular case, sometimes someone is unconscious and asleep and just spilling over <laughs> into the next seat. So wait, so what do you do? You, you like we both travel a decent amount, but what do you do when you're in this situation? Because I know you like your armrests. I do. And <laughs> but I also I, I have a few uh, mitigating factors okay. that I have in my mind also. Okay. I think about the middle seat prerogative. Okay. I think that the people who have the seats on the aisle and the window have room in the other direction. So I like to think about that person in the middle seat having I wouldn't say a, a greater claim, but I like to just think about what they're dealing with a little bit when you're thinking about how you're going to divvy up that shared space. And I I don't think that you can draw a line down the middle of the armrest. I don't think <laughs> it's big little. enough. Yep. <laughs> They're too skinny. The other thing that I think about is that we are not all built the same. And I am a size where I fit within an airplane seat. Mm-hmm. And there are some people, as these seats have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller, for whom and, – and I watch it where staying in that small seat requires – a shrinking of self. Mm-hmm. You see people sit there with their shoulders collapsing towards themselves, just they're holding their arms, trying to stay within the confines of that very small seat. And sometimes there is just a, a consideration based around the reality that people are different sizes, and it might be a radically different comfort level for one person to be able to put their arm on that armrest. I can picture Dan showing up to a seat with a like a child sitting in the aisle seat with both their elbows on and Dan just looking down and being like, no. You're too little for no, that. No, you're too little to do that. Like, no. <laughs> you might be like me these days and have a one almost two-year-old on your lap. Yep. Who's a little hard to contain. And, and the bracing of the elbows could help a little bit of leverage, <laughs> that kind of thing. Having them propped up on yeah. one side or the other while they sleep might be make a big difference. So I think there are some, some things that, that come into play that... So you're thinking about the size of the people, what seat you're sitting in. I tend to think um, you're not always going to be able to control whether you're the first person in the row to sit down or, like Dan just said, what the other people's needs are going to be. So I kind of take what I get when I show up. And if I see that the person is already using both armrests or when I go to sit down, there's not that natural, comfortable, oh, there's space for me to just put my elbow here. Then I literally just think, okay, 
<laughs> that's it. Like First come, first serve? Yeah. Maybe I'll get a chance when they go to the bathroom. Sometimes what I do is is exactly what Sarah suggested is I'll put my elbow further up on the armrest so that we can front both use it. I like the front and back thing. I do actually think that solves a lot of the worry. It works. But for the most part, I just tell myself, don't worry about it. It's an armrest. And depending on the flight, I might have to tell myself that a little bit more consciously than other times. But there is no etiquette that says the person in the middle seat gets both armrests. There's no etiquette that says because you are a certain gender, you should get the armrest. There's no etiquette that says because you're of a certain age, you should get the armrest or because you have a child or don't have a child, but do have a briefing the next day that you should get the armrest. There's no there's there is no real etiquette claim on the armrest other than you try to share and you try to be polite. So the thing that you should think about when you sit down on that plane is, oh, well, if I've got the armrest, why don't I offer it to someone else in a few minutes? Lizzie Post, now you get the etiquette gold star. Oh, phew. <laughs> I swear he doesn't get fired. No, I really <laughs> like that. There is a place where I think the, the line starts to get crossed. Oh, yeah? Spillover. When someone's not just on the armrest, but they start to be in your seat as well. You mean when all of a sudden someone's cuddling with you in their sleep? <laughs> and sometimes it's that unintentional, I'm just reading or I'm working on my laptop and my elbows start to wander. Sometimes it is that sleeping person who starts to lean or tilt. But I think that you don't want to be that person who's sitting there glaring at someone else or who's elbowing someone the whole time. That doesn't feel good either. That's why I like your advice to put a smile on your face, think about sharing, try not to get too disgruntled about any of this because, no, there isn't a rule that says, oh, no, it's halfway through the flight. It's time for them to move their arm off that and share it with me. But I do think if someone's in your seat, and this is delicate, I don't know exactly how to say it, there is a sort of a, a shifting that can happen in the seat that might bring someone's awareness or attention to the fact that they're actually in your space. And you do have Dan's, Dan's, a claim to that 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 seat that Dan's you Dan's talking about seat. the accidental bump. And I was this is what I was gonna bring up next is because people often ask Dan and me, Oh come on, you're not perfect all the time. Like what's your bad behavior? <laughs> And I will tell you, the bump actually comes close to one of the things. Like, I don't really enjoy glaring at someone in order to get them to change their behavior. It's certainly a tactic I, I tried to use in my 20s for years, and it just never got me anywhere and made me feel bad. And it just was one of those things I didn't find effective over the years. But the bump is really effective. And you, I tell you, someone's arm has been there for too long, and it's just festering in your head. And you're like, I'm just, I'm not going to choose to be polite right now. And a little graze, a little, oh, when you try to move your own arm onto the armrest and, oh, there's an arm there already. It's amazing how much the other person will often go, oh, I'm so sorry. Or, oh, I didn't mean, like, do you want to share it or something like that? It it can just, the bump can provide you a little bit of that nudge to get the conversation going because it quite literally is it's physical. It's 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 the excuse me moment that we're hoping to have with people. And some people just employ it intentionally in order to kind of create that awareness. You took the accidental bump even further than I met. I, I was thinking if someone was actually in your space, where if they've crossed over the armrest Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I knew chair. what you were talking about. But when it's on the armrest, and that's supposed to be neutral territory, right? That's like neutral ground. Then it's one of those, I've just, I've noticed the, the bump. But the bump also does work when exactly what you're talking about, when there's spillover 
you know, when someone really has uh, fallen asleep and is leaning over on you, a little tap or a nudge is often the right thing in order to move them. And help me with this, too. Maybe is in some ways less uh, demanding than an excuse me that that maybe that 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 sort of that brushing physical contact is something that can be interpreted in different ways. Someone can even say to themselves, oh, that was a little accidental. This is me, by the way, totally white lying it. Like I'm just this is like I'm saying it's an accident. It's not really an accident. It's intentional. Yeah. No. And and I'm I'm, forced accident. I'm really wondering here, whereas excuse me or pardon me. Sort of drawing someone's attention to the fact that they're right. in your seat or okay. that they haven't been sharing an armrest. So I don't know. Is you're that you're sitting there and there's a person next to you and their elbow's over and you just look at their elbow and look up at them and say, "Excuse me." That to me doesn't do it. That doesn't like it. You're right. That feels uncomfortable. It feels like, well, so what kind of ter- claim on territory do you have that you get to say, uh, excuse me about this situation here, my arm comfortably on an armrest attached to a seat I'm sitting in, right? And I think you're right. I think that the the physical bump provides a level of accident and and in the space that we're dealing with it's a very forgivable accident it's an accident that's likely to happen even with legs right your leg might brush the other person's leg as you're getting something out of your bag you know you go to put your headphones on and your elbow just crosses into their space in front of their face you'd say excuse me but the physical thing would happen first before the excuse me whereas when you just look at someone And you say, excuse me, to get them to notice something about their behavior. When you're passing by someone in a crowded space, that actually is appropriate because you're trying to get that permission first before a potential contact might happen. Mm -hmm. But in this space, it's different. And it looks more like I'm just sitting here and you're judging me for just sitting here. Excuse me, what? I haven't done anything. My arm is just on the armrest. Sarah, this is such a great question. You have drawn us into some potentially dicey territory, some some areas of etiquette that I think are really interesting. And frankly, I didn't even expect to go right? when I first read this question. <laughs> yeah, either. Thank you so much both for sending a question and for leaving us a voicemail. We love to hear your voices. We love to include them on the show. Please do keep them coming. Try saying something, anything, something to break the ice. No, it isn't hard to start a new friendship. And it isn't hard to be generous. That's one way to be friendly. See how it works? And it isn't hard to be courteous. Our next question is titled, Sometimes You Say Something. Lizzie and Dan, a friend of mine was invited to dinner at her friend's house and had an etiquette question that I am asking on her behalf since I am an AE listener. So my friend and her husband were invited to dinner at their friend's house. The host asked them to arrive at 5.45 p.m. for dinner. My friend offered to bring something, but the offer was declined by the host. When they arrived, they were given a tour of the house since they had never been over before. The tour included the kitchen, and my friend saw the counter full of prepared dishes, presumably for dinner. They were then invited to take a seat in the living room to chat. By 9 p.m., they still had not had dinner, yet that was the clear intent of the visit. The host asked them to arrive at a specific time, but never said when dinner would be served, so they patiently waited as they didn't know if the host was accustomed to a later dinner time. The host went to the kitchen and brought out a small bunch of grapes to snack on. By 10.30 p.m., they decided to leave and exited through the kitchen when the host then remarked, Oh, that's the food I was going to serve for dinner. 
My friend is wondering what would be appropriate to say during the visit in the future as a guest expecting dinner and how she can follow up with her friend. They haven't talked since and she feels an awkwardness and doesn't want to embarrass the host, but does want an explanation as to what happened. Any advice is appreciated. Best hungry dinner guest. This is just the weirdest. It's a little strange. Come over for dinner. Walk by this lovely food I've clearly prepared. Four and a half hours later. Where's the dinner? It's, it's hard to picture. It really is. Like, so I'm, I'm getting a scene of like three people for a dinner party, the host and, and the couple that came over. And then there's all this food you walk by and you sit around, you have some grapes, maybe around seven and then 1030 rolls around, you leave. And the host says, that's the meal I was going to serve. And as Dan and I have spent a, quite a while debating how that particular phrase was dealt out is going to tell you a lot more about what happened this evening, right? Usually when you hear about a scenario, you can kind of picture the motives or the intentions of the people being described. Or or maybe there's a couple motives or intentions that start to be possibilities that emerge. This is really strange. This is weird. It's not a clear picture for me. And And as you point out, the sentence as you're walking past... This array of food that hasn't been served. It's been five hours. And We're you, talking 5.30 to 10.30. Five yeah, hours. Yeah. Oh, that's the food I was going to serve for dinner. Does the host mean I had intended to serve that for dinner? Maybe a dinner that would have already happened, but for some reason I decided not to. Right. Or did they mean, oh, that's the food I was going to serve for dinner, as in that's the food I'm about to serve you for dinner? Or but would you're have... on the way out the door. I was going to serve that. Or is it, oh, that's the food I was going to serve for dinner. <laughs> like, just stupid mistake. Oh, my gosh, here it is all Don't we out. all forget like, dinner all whoops. the time? <laughs> like, it, or, you know, yeah, it's, you don't know how that was said. So it, it does depend. But it really is the weirdest. And guests, traditionally, from an etiquette standpoint, aren't ever supposed to question their host. You don't ask who's coming. You don't ask what's being served. You don't ask when it's being served or why certain entertainment is or isn't happening. You just go with what your host is doing. So the guests are clearly doing that. I mean, they eat the grapes, I'm assuming, that got brought out. But they're they're sitting there wondering what to do. And they're in a position where they don't feel like it's their place to ask. And if you're with really close friends, which I think matters, you could probably find a way to ask in that moment. And you could you, nudge. Right. You could say, boy, that food smells delicious. Could I help you set the table? You can offer to help get things going. You can just comment on how good it smells or how good it looked when you walked by through the kitchen. Any of those kinds of things are good in close company absolutely fine. You're not criticizing someone. You're just a little curious. And remember, you've walked by this food. You've seen it. It's not like it's been hidden from you all night long. If you're not super close, I think that you do what you just did, is you don't try to question it. You have a nice time. You enjoy the conversation. Remind yourself you can order a pizza afterwards. And Stay as long as you can. And that brings up the stay as long as you can brings up another question that that Dan thought of when when he read this. And he said, when they're saying that line of that's the dinner I was going to serve, are they really meaning like if you weren't leaving right now, I'd serve that? I mean, are they annoyed that you've now made the decision to leave? And so it which is hard to imagine. It's, when, it is. Yeah. When you're talking about five hours from 5.30 to 10.30. With just grapes. Stretching my mind. Yeah. The scenario I was imagining is someone who's used to dinner 
not at seven or eight, but at 10. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you get a little delayed. Sometimes you intend to serve dinner at eight and you serve at 830. Sometimes you intend to serve at seven at 745. What if you're (laughs) intending to serve at 10 and it ends up being a little more like 1030, 1045, and all of a sudden your guests are walking out? And again, that's that's the biggest stretch I can make. But and it's you the choose one not place... to say, oh, I was about to serve dinner to you either. Because remember, the host isn't saying that either. Like... No, but if they're being as circumspect as our guests are being about not asking what's going on, you might have a situation where people are barely communicating, even though they're trying to have dinner together. Are you saying that they etiqueted themselves out of dinner? <laughs> it could have happened. <laughs> so you leave. Dinner doesn't get served. I think that if there's no tension afterwards, you just chalk this up to a little bit of awkwardness or a mishap for the evening and you happily accept the next invitation that comes your way. I don't think you have to question it. I don't think you have to bring it up. But if there is tension afterwards, which we've heard there is, and we don't know how long has passed, I think you have to decide whether you're going to say something. And in my mind, if you're going to say something, you use that point that Dan was just talking about, that moment where maybe your host thought maybe your behavior dictated that dinner not getting served. And that, I think, is your point of entry to say something along the lines of, hey, Sam, I was thinking about dinner the other night and I realized I may have left too early. Had you maybe planned on serving dinner later and we missed that cue? I just I felt so bad. That food looked so delicious. I'm not bothered as okay. your host hearing For that. reals, though, because like because Yes. I don't feel like I've been called out or questioned. Okay, I don't feel like I've been accused. I don't feel like someone's looking for me to apologize for something. Okay, okay. If they say that. So and those are the the things I'm looking for. My intent as a guest bringing this up would be to open the door to a conversation to say I've been wondering about the role I played in this. The whole thing felt a little strange to me. And you don't necessarily need to say that, but maybe (laughs) you could, depending on how well you knew the person. I was just going to say, that's going to be the, if you're super close with them, then you could, like you and I could have that exchange if something weird happened for dinner for one of the two of us. Like (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And you and I were trying to picture ourselves in this scenario to think of what we would do. And frankly, I was really saying it's Pooja, my wife, who would be the one probably navigating this situation. <laughs> she's so she's so good at it. And one of the things that she wouldn't want to ignore would be tension in a relationship. Mm-hmm. I think you get a feel from someone, whether they're the kind of person that you would be able to have that conversation with and whether they're a very good friend. Sometimes a very good friend who wouldn't want to have that conversation. It's someone you've just met who you think probably could. So I think there's a little bit of a, a read that goes on here when you're making that decision. Hungry dinner guest, we hope that this helps parse this very, very awkward situation out just a little bit. And more so, we hope that the next dinner party both involves dinner and goes smoothly. Betty, our hostess, is having a few of her friends to her home for a birthday party. But this is the first time she has given a party all by herself. Like everyone else, she thinks that her etiquette is perhaps not perfect, but good enough so that there are no glaring errors. But the housekeeper must tell Betty she has noticed a few errors. Our next question is about a formal luncheon flop. I recently invited several ladies to a New Year celebration luncheon at a very nice new restaurant. I had invitations printed up and personalized and hand-delivered them. One response was, who else is invited? And another lady invited a friend. Is either response okay? And what should my response be? I was taken aback by both. Thank you. 
Oh, Anonymous, it sounds like you went out of your way to create some real formality for this luncheon. I mean, a nice formal luncheon, you know, printed invitations, hand-delivered to people. And I just feel sad that it wasn't observed in your guests' RSVP, that they didn't meet this invitation with the level of, of formality and graciousness that you issued it with. And I'm sorry for that because it's real disappointment. Sometimes this happens because people are really unfamiliar with formal. And that can just really just, you know, your friend hands you an actual invitation. So you say, oh, yeah, so who else is coming? And it's really excited. And it's it's actually because they're looking forward to this and know that you'll do such a great job with it. They want to know more because this will be fun. And that seems like a natural question to ask. Totally. Even though we all know that it's actually not a polite question to ask. So you might just chalk this up to inexperience and and people just being excited and kind of forgetting that level of formality within their response to having received this type of invitation. It should be noted that if anything is ever hand-delivered to you, it's likely formal. And formal does mean to reply in the formal. And hand-delivered is a little tough. Hand-delivered from the actual host to you feels informal. It feels casual. Whereas hand-delivered by someone who is coming around and delivering these invitations feels very formal and, like, almost unprecedented. (laughs) In fact, kind of unheard of in today's world. But, boy, wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) I know, right? When it comes to responding to this type of rudeness when it happens to you, I think it's 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 best not to tell someone you shouldn't ask that. You don't you don't etiquette scold them on anything. But I would respond by saying, oh, I'm sure you're going to enjoy everyone or, oh, I don't know who's RSVP'd yet, but it's going to be a wonderful time. Um, to the friend that asks to bring another guest, you just say, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't including plus ones in this. Or, oh, I was just hoping to have the, the group of women who were invited. And that's it. And you're not trying to... You're not trying to exclude, but you are trying to state that, you know, you had planned and issued an invitation for just this person and not this person plus other people. I like the way you kept that reply to your intent for the party. You're not saying things like, well, the reservation only accommodates this or it's not possible, but you're acknowledging your role as the host. I also chalk that one up to maybe a a lack of awareness that this invitation means you as the host are going to be paying. And some people aren't fully realizing that and think maybe it's okay to ask to include other people. Again, when you talk about a sort of a lack of familiarity with a formal invitation and the roles that 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 puts people in, I think that could explain that kind of thinking as well. Anonymous, we hope this doesn't discourage you from hosting more formal luncheons in the future. Now, let's think back. Would you like to come to a party at my house Saturday, March 24th at 8 p.m. and so on. Why bother to write? This is just an informal party. Let's just phone everyone. Sure. Good. We'll phone tomorrow. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette in your post so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today, we start off with a message from Dana regarding episode 224. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I have a suggestion for the listener who asked for help with the family gift exchange from episode 224. 
perhaps it might be helpful to suggest a theme for your gift giving the following Christmas. This could be incredibly helpful to all involved and take some of the pressure off. I thought of one theme right away. However, the possibilities are endless. A gift exchange centered around genealogy or family history could be really meaningful. There are so many things you can do with old family photos and videos, family stories, or family heirlooms. Gifts like this are not only meaningful to the recipient, but also to the giver. Perhaps you discover a box of slides that hasn't been viewed in many years. You can easily digitize the images and find ways to share them with the family. Several years ago, I was given several crocheted doilies from my great-grandmother. I love having something physical that she created to display in my home. Another idea is that you collect current family photos and arrange them in a collage, then print and frame the collage for your family member. I hope this will ease the burden of your family gift exchange. Giving and receiving gifts should not be a burden, but a joy. All the best, Dana. Dana, thanks for the tip. I love the idea of a family-focused gift exchange. I like it. I like it. We recently took a question about receiving thank you cards that were pre-addressed as a shower gift. Here's the feedback. I love the show. I'd like to give some feedback on collecting addresses for thank you cards. I'm a soon-to-be bride and have heard the advice of placing envelopes for thank you cards by the guest book. I find there are various logistical issues with this. Specifically, not all guests fill them out, and also they potentially can get lost in the cleanup. Personally, over the last few years, I've had a number of events for myself, a graduation party and a bridal shower come to mind, where the invitations have been sent through text and social media, not my preferred style, but the way that my circle of friends stays in touch. It seems that in our digital world, we just don't have physical addresses for our friends and relatives at hand. Therefore, at these events, I put out index cards at the entry, out under a sign stating address book collection, and as we greet everyone, tell them we're building an address book and would love their mailing address. Additionally, every year around November 1st, I send out a Google form through social media asking for updated address from my friends for holiday cards. Using these simple tools, my fiancé and I have been able to get our invitations out without calling or texting everyone on the guest list at the last minute for addresses. It has saved us headaches and hopefully kept us in line with good etiquette. Good. Oh, it so has. And, you know, you mentioned index cards. I've also seen people do a book for exactly the reason that you stated that those cards can get lost in the cleanup. This is just fabulous, fabulous advice because it gets at the efficiency that people are looking for. But it also does it in a way that I think doesn't make you feel like you're addressing your own thank you notes. I love the two-tiered approach. I physically gather them when I get people in the same Mm -hmm. place. And then I also use social media with a form that requests updates for addresses. Brilliant. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next comment, update, or feedback to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is totally inspired by Dan Post-Senning because he was sick. It's on (laughs) illness etiquette. Cold and flu season is among us. And it's really funny, but cold and flu season actually does change our behavior and what should be 
proper behavior. I don't know if I chastised you. I don't know what we would say. But yesterday on the phone, Dan was talking about how he was like, well, the thing that really made me stay home was stay was, you know, because I didn't want to get all the other kids at daycare sick. And I didn't want to get you and Chris no, no, sick. But yeah, that too. But and I said to him, don't you dare do that. Don't you go thinking of other people like you need to think of yourself. And the more that you're out and the longer you take to be out, the worse it's all going to be. And the thing that I learned when I did a spokesperson campaign with um it was it was actually a a a brand of medication for the to help shorten the duration of flu symptoms but we weren't actually talking about the meds at all it was all about behavior and and what to do and when you're sick and the doctor that I worked with said that the very best thing you can do when you're sick is to stay as horizontal as possible Make your body do as few things as possible. Even getting up to go turn on the TV, use the remote. It's This is one of those times where it helps your body the, to do as little as possible. I love hearing this. I know. And so I was like, Dan Bozenning, you don't do anything. Don't try to go shovel something. Get your dad down the road to do it for you. But just rest. And the more you can rest, the better you will feel faster. Okay, no, that's not exactly the etiquette advice. But when it comes to cold and flu season, you are out and about. You do have to go do things. You're contagious, unfortunately, at the early stages before symptoms have even showed up. Mm -hmm. You're contagious when you're not symptomatic. Exactly. So what are best practices broadly in cold and flu season? I won't even just say when you're sick, but when stuff is around. When stuff is around. If you are the one who is coughing, you always cough into your elbow. Operate by the one and done rule when it comes to any kind of paper towel, facial tissue, you know, Kleenex type stuff that you use. Don't reuse them. Throw them out immediately. They should go from the box to your face to the garbage and nothing else in between. Um, It is perfectly okay to decline a handshake when you are sick. This is not using the excuse and the grand escape out of shaking someone's hand. This is legit. If you are sick and you have to go to an event or something like that, or you feel something coming on and you're just maybe sick, that's when you say, I'm feeling something coming on. I really don't want to get you sick, but I'm so excited to meet you, or I'm so happy to be able to go over these details today. Whatever it is, um, focus on the interaction, but not the actual handshake of the interaction. We spend a lot of time on this show talking about new etiquette. We also inform all of our new etiquette with a lot of very traditional etiquette, a lot of etiquette that's been around since the 100 years ago when Emily Post wrote her first book on etiquette. And since that 22 edition, there has been a courtesy around not touching your face when you're interacting with other people, keeping your hands out of your ears, eyes, nose, and mouth when you're in public spaces, when you're interacting with others, when you're at a meal in particular, when you're at a table with other people, that very traditional rule of etiquette works remarkably well to keep you safe and well this time of year. Try not to touch your face with your hands. Wash before you eat a meal. If you're going somewhere new, if you're going to the gym or if you're dropping your kids off at school, washing your hands before you enter those places where you're likely to spread and share germs is a really good Way to show courtesy to the people that you're going to be spending that time with. And then washing them on your way back out is too, so that you're not bringing the germs that are there out into the rest of the world with you. 
it's it's really tough. But people think that they should tough it out. They think they should that it's the the right thing to not leave your coworkers upended, and that's true. Dan tried very hard to tell me he wasn't going to be working on Monday, and kept falling asleep before being able to do so. And it it for us that day it created. Luckily, we didn't have much to talk about that day, so it wasn't a big issue. But it would have been if he was at a place where he needed to call in and say, "I can't. I won't be making it today. You're not going to see me at the office today." It's really important to make sure that when you are out of office, when you are out of commission because of a cold, that you reach out to people and let them know and that you communicate that. And it's fine if you if that's via text, via email, via phone call, whatever it is. But communicating to the people that you usually would be in contact with that you're not going to be or that you need the rest and you need the quiet is really important. It'll help them mentally not be frustrated later on, but it'll also just simply inspire good communication throughout the duration of your illness. So rest up, drink lots of fluids, take care to wash up when you're around other people and likely to be sharing or spreading germs. It's okay to not participate in certain courtesies, we're thinking handshakes here, that are not just likely but are practically guaranteed to spread germs. Cover up that nose or that mouth when you cough or sneeze. That's the crook of your elbow. And turn away from others. Use tissues only once. Do your part. Everyone will appreciate it. Dan, I'm psyched to have you back at the mic with me and feeling better. And we hope that anyone out there who is feeling a little sick, take heart. Hopefully it'll be over soon. But if in spite of all these precautions, you still come down with a cold, let us repeat, take it to bed and stay there until it has run its course. This is the safest way to regain your health and to return as quickly as possible to work, to fun, and to play. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we get a travel salute from Megan. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I was listening to your podcast this week, as usual, when you read the etiquette salute regarding a couple who was delighted to find that another passenger on their flight willingly gave up her seat so that she and her partner could sit together on a relatively short flight. This reminded me of an air travel salute of my own that I've been meaning to submit for over a year, but never got around to writing. Better late than never, right? Last September, I, my 22-month-old and 4-month-old sons, were traveling home to California from Salt Lake City, Utah. We had just spent several days in Utah for my older brother's wedding. My husband was not able to make the trip due to unforeseen conflicts at his company, so I was traveling alone. I was pretty proud of my kids for completing the California to Utah trip without any major toddler or baby meltdowns. On the way home, however, I could sense things might not go so smoothly. After three days of fun with family, missed naps, and too much cake, the kids were tired and wound up. I arrived at the airport stressed after managing the unfamiliar airport and rental car return and found myself at our jam-packed departing gate just as our flight was boarding. 
It was then that my four-month-old dropped a major number two in his diaper. I realized the impossibility of, one, me changing his diaper on the plane while managing my toddler, two, the three of us risking the long walk to the bathroom and back in time, or three, letting the little guy sit in his mess, not an option. I realized I had to clean him up right there at the gate. I made my way to an open space of floor near a trash can in the corner of the room and threw down a baby blanket to do the deed, trying not to think about what I felt were dozens of people staring and judging. That's when my baby kept trying to roll on his stomach and my toddler jumped up to run away from me. I grabbed him in time, and it was in this frazzled and desperate state that I realized a serene-looking, smiling woman had knelt down beside us and began speaking sweetly to my toddler and baby, distracting them both so that I could get the work done and get us on the flight in time. I blurted out some sort of profuse thanks, and I just remember her saying that she knew how I felt and remembered traveling with her kids when they were small. Her unexpected kindness brought tears to my eyes, and it was all I could do not to cry right there in the waiting area. It chokes me up even writing this. I have no idea who this woman was, but I think of her when I see other moms in the airport, she has empowered me to pass on any kindness I can to a mommy out there who might be in need of a helping hand. Best, Megan. Megan, your salute almost brought a little tear to my eye, too. I, I, um, I really appreciate this salute. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, or salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider helping us out by becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you do, consider leaving us a review. It helps with our ratings. And we are also now on Spotify. So if you like Spotify, you can find Awesome Etiquette there. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dow. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.